Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, our thoughts on El Salvador versus USA. Was this the best transfer window ever? We discuss. CR7 turns the transfer window upside down. Why the MLS All-Star Game ratings are a tale of two cities. Africa's World Cup qualifiers find a home in the US. And your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. And uh, this week we have two guests. We have our regular co-host Kartik Krishnair, and we also have a special guest uh, who is Carl Fansler, who is going to talk to us about the uh, U.S. men's national team. So we'll go to the U.S. Uh, game first, and, and our thoughts about C- CBS's coverage uh, of El Salvador, USA. So, Kyle, what was your overall impression of the U.S. men's national team? Zero zero uh, draw against El Salvador. What did you think? I think they should be happy to take a point, but at the same time, they're going to be disappointed that they did not get three. I thought there were a lot of opportunities that went by the wayside, but you know, by the same token, El Salvador had a lot of chances. I thought the defense played fairly well. I mean, you can't ever complain about a, a clean sheet. Um, I thought there were a couple opportunities that should have been scored. I thought there were too many chances that they got a little too creative, a little too cheeky, rather than just being direct and going to goal. That I think they'll they might rue those. Uh, only time will tell. We're hoping that nothing repeats itself like in uh, 2017, 2018. But uh, I think a one point is good, especially when you're starting out on the road with such a young team like they have right now. Yeah, going into this game, I mean, like before the match, I mean, the noise of the crowd singing the El Salvadoran national anthem was intense. You mean, it, it just like a, a sea of blue around, really kind of a intense atmosphere. And and to me, that th- those first ten or fifteen minutes, I mean, the U.S. controlled the game. They had so many chances. It just seemed to be that they would just instead of taking the shot, they would make that extra pass. And and I think we really, I mean, who knows where things will go, but I really think we we need a number nine. I mean, Josh Sargent is a good player, but to me, he's almost like a second striker, almost kind of mm-hmm. dropping deep in midfield, making the pass. You're missing that that 
that Daryl DK or uh, Robbie Robinson or you mean like kind of that natural number nine who's just going to get a sniff at goal and take a shot. And, and that's what I thought in the first 10 or 15 minutes. We could, absolutely could have been 2-0 two two up. Uh, no they problem. Really had a, a good opportunity to silence that crowd. But, uh, you know, like you said, those first 15 minutes, they don't score. They let El Salvador back in that game. And that crowd really, I think, benefited the home team because, I mean – as the, the the broadcasters are saying, welcome to Concacaf. You know, uh, yeah, they were. I mean, they got the riot shields down at the corners. Gio Reyna's looking up at the the fans because they're all heckling them, throwing stuff at them, and they really had a chance in those first fifteen minutes to you know put their foot down and say, you know, we're here to win and we're going to do whatever we can to win. But they let some of those chances go, and suddenly, you know, you're fighting for a, a zero zero. So speaking of the broadcaster, what were your thoughts about uh, CBS's coverage uh, from what you saw, whether pre-match, half-time, or post-match? I thought it was uh, pretty good. I mean, I thought they had good coverage of the Nations League as well. I thought it was a little funky at the start. I don't know if they were having some technical difficulties or something on my end, but uh, it seemed like there was a slight delay. I mean, I can't say if they're doing those broadcasts from El Salvador or doing it in a studio. But uh, right. yeah, I was, thought the, the yeah, broadcast was in a was studio, fine. right? Yeah, I think that's always going to hamper their ability to you know put out the best product they can. But I honestly thought it was it was good. I thought it got the job done. I wouldn't say it was anything to to brag about, but it was good. Yeah, for, for me, it's interesting because um, it's definitely a different style of soccer coverage uh, that mm-hmm. CBS is going is doing and producing. Uh, it's not like your NBC coverage. It's not like your ESPN. It's not like your Fox. It's very much a uh, kind of a U.S. men's national team branded uh, slash CBS coverage. And what I do like about it is that uh, definitely Kate Abdo has fun, as well as Moadu and Clint Dempsey and Noguchi Onoeu and Charlie Davies. I, I would say Charlie probably talks too much and monopolizes the conversation. I'd, I'd like to hear more from Dempsey. Uh, but overall, I thought it was good. And then the match commentary, yeah, there was that delay. And I think sometimes it felt like almost like it was uh, Moadu who was delaying his insights. Like he would be waiting a second or two rather than just jumping right in. So right. Um, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and, and it was in a studio. They did it, um, I think, in Stanford, Connecticut, I think it was, or, or New York. They were doing it uh, from there. And, and and that's always a challenge too. Is you know, audio wise, is trying to sync that up with with the video. But um, but yeah, no, I think it was uh, it was uh, overall uh, still a breath of fresh air. And uh, Clint Dempsey, who who would have thought? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you mentioned Clint Dempsey. I mean, they're always showing these things that are saying, "Oh, he's tied for the most international goals in U.S. men's national team history." And I'm just I'm sitting there watching. I'm saying, "Well, I'd like to hear more from how." Uh, America's greatest goal, tie for greatest goal scorer, how he got there and his insights, because obviously he's going to know about what these players are going through, having played in Europe and making that trek back to CONCACAF. So I think he will provide a lot of good insight. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to him uh, embracing that role, you know, becoming a, a great pundit. All right, Kartik. It's been a long time. There's a lot, a lot of things going on. We haven't had a chance to talk to you in a couple of weeks. Uh, not much going on, right, in the world of soccer. <laughs> I, I would say I can't even remember this past weekend's football because Tuesday, to me, 
August 31st, 2021, uh, mark it down on your calendar, the day that football kind of definitively changed uh, in terms of the trajectory of, of different leagues and, and, uh, and, and uh, the balance of power within Europe. Now, we know we had two finalists last year in the Champions League from the Premier League, and, and uh, three seasons ago we had that as well, two finalists from uh, the, the Premier League. So maybe the, the balance had already begun to tip towards the Premier League at the very top, but uh, for me, I sat... This is amazing, Chris, because I, I often say on this show, I can no longer sit and watch football for more than six hours straight. I have to take a break. This is why I'm not watching as much MLS or USL anymore because I'm burnt out by a certain point in the day. I take my niece to school seven in the morning. I pick her up at three in the afternoon every day, every weekday. With those two exceptions, uh, with the exceptions of the half an hour around those events, I was watching Sky from about 6.30 in the morning, Eastern time, till eight at night. So I was watching Sky for like 14 hours. And then uh, when Sky was done, I watched the last hour of NBCSN special with David Ornstein and the two Robbies, Rebecca Lowe and, and uh, Tim Howard. So to me, and, and you know, you and I have been done this show, this format of the show now for several years. We've always said transfer deadline day was sort of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was just me. I was so glued in and dialed in on it all day and it was because not because of the individual transfers but because i i i am seeing a definitive shift away from continental football those teams the the combination of of the tv deals through the years uh economic situation and then covid exacerbating it those clubs do not have money to spend they are uh trying to get guys off the wage bill and this is not just Barcelona we're talking about. This is multiple clubs throughout throughout the continent. And Premier League clubs are buying. And it's not just the big six Premier League clubs. There are a lot of guys that I uh, would not have expected to go to a, a clubs like West Ham and Crystal Palace. Uh, and, and I guess we had seen a trend like this uh, in Leicester. That's another club that's been, that's been buying very uh, aggressively for, uh, continental footballers. Maybe we saw this trend coming the last few years. But um, to me, it was finalized on uh, on uh, Tuesday. I know, Chris, you and I for years have advocated, hey, these people in the U.S. who just watch the Premier League and don't watch other leagues on the continent, they're missing out. I'm still going to say that, but I think the position of, hey, I just watched the Premier League might be more defensible for the next five years because there was an outflow of talent from the continent and an inflow to the Premier League. And quite quite honestly, it stopped at the Premier League. Um, Sky talked a lot about how uh, championship clubs and League One and League Two clubs were unable to spend money either and were unable to do much transfer business other than take guys on loan and uh, guys who were being paid for by Premier League clubs or, or clubs on the continent. So to me, it was an epic day. And the day maybe football changed or the balance of power of football changed definitively. Ronaldo just topping on the cake, going from Italy to back to England. Yeah, it's definitely a huge sign where you have, I mean, Inter winning the title. I mean, Juventus always kind of a, a strong team in Italy and certainly financial problems there. Uh, you look over <clears throat> into Spain and you look at Barcelona, which is a shambles, uh, trying to offload a ton of players. Uh, Real Madrid's are not spending like they've used, they've used to. Um, they've got their own financial problems. But would you say, I mean, when you look at the Premier League, Kartik, and, and those clubs have financial problems too. There's definitely been hit by COVID. Uh, you mean hundreds of millions of dollars lost in, in potential revenue there. But other than the TV deals, 
And we know that the Premier League gets the biggest TV deals in the world, globally speaking, in soccer. Is there any other factor other than just just the pure, basically, cash machine that comes into the Premier League? Any other reason why the Premier League is in such a strong position right now? TV deals, I think uh, certain individual sponsorship deals. Leicester did a new shirt deal this year. That gave them the ability to go out and get DACA, who I think is going to be a phenomenal player. We haven't seen much of him yet this season. Uh, And Samare, who was a key guy on Lille's title-winning team in France, they were able to get those two guys. Spurs seem to have done something financially where they're able to keep Harry Kane and they're able to go out into the market and get uh, a a number of players. I had speculated that it was – Florida real estate, because uh, the the real estate places that uh, Joe Lewis, the primary owner of Spurs, actually manage and own are booming in this state right now. Spurs fans push back on me and tell me the club is self-sufficient. I don't know about that, given the, the cost overruns with the stadium, etc. But whatever the case, they, they seem to be OK. They don't have to sell Kane. And they were able to bring in several important pieces this window, including Emerson Royale right at the deadline from uh, Barcelona. That that transfer caught me off guard. I guess Barcelona had to dump guys to, to even register Aguero. So uh, the last day Barca was was frantic. Re, restructuring uh, contracts of existing existing players, uh, including Jordi Alba. But uh, that that was a very, very big deal to me. So there may be something more in sponsorship deals for Spurs. Arsenal obviously has spent uh, well this, this summer, but I do think ultimately it comes down to the TV deals because you're talking about a league where you see spending – all the way through the division. You see Aston Villa turning around after selling Jack Grealish and right away reinvesting every single uh, pound that they got from Grealish and possibly improving their team. So uh, you lose a guy of Grealish's quality. Uh, if, if it's a continental club, Chris, this, uh, this summer, they're not replacing uh, that, 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 that output. But um, – Aston Villa were able to go into the market and buy a bunch of guys. Buendia, who I love from Norwich, goes to Aston Villa. I think, okay, Norwich is doing what they did last time when they came up, which is they're not going to spend any money. So what do they do? They go ahead and buy a bunch of interesting uh, pieces to add to their squad. I don't know if they'll get them out of trouble, but um, yeah, it's got to be the TV deals because the Premier League looks very healthy. The championship doesn't look healthy. Okay, right in uh, right beneath the Premier League in the same country, the the, the, the division doesn't look healthy, and there was a, it was a depressed transfer market. And then we know what's going on on the continent. Other than PSG, no one else is spending money. Uh, you you even, and Bayern's not spending very much either. I mean, they've gotten two, I think, very good players from Leipzig this window, but other than that, uh, not really anything. Yeah, it's hard to think that uh, before this transfer window started that we would have seen Messi and Ronaldo leaving in the same transfer window. I think in some ways, I mean, I mean, like you said, we will look back in history at that August 31st, 2021 date and say that changed everything. That was uh, the day we finally got, you mean, kind of some really r- raw evidence that the Premier League is like you know, leaps and bounds ahead of the other leagues in Europe and uh, other than PSG, PSG is kind of the only uh, outlier here who's uh, spending kind of frivolously nonstop, it seems, uh, and, and holding on to uh, Mbappe uh, at all costs. But the other thing about this, Okartic, too, is that uh, this one seemed to be very, this transfer window seemed to be very choreographed. So 
oftentimes kind of some of the news, the breaking news, it was the club would release their official tweet with a photo. And then within seconds, it would be Sky Sports News or whichever broadcaster then would be saying, okay, hey, guess what? So-and-so has signed for whatever club it is. Uh, I don't think there were too many secrets that came out uh, of this one. There weren't any, I mean, there were definitely some some surprise deals, but it wasn't a lot of, um, as far as I could see, a lot of reporters uh, getting the exclusives uh, and, and breaking the news wide open. Uh, if anything, it seemed to be the clubs making kind of, you know, going through the, the motions and, and making the announcements. Um, and I guess in some ways, too, there's a lot more, uh, the clubs are a lot more controlled the, the the way that they dis, uh, distribute news and they have their own uh, I mean TV channels they have their own news teams etc. Uh, it just felt very uh, very very different than, than than in the past. Totally. And how many deals actually happened without the uh, the the usual good reporters who get transfer deals early uh, and, and start r- r- these rumors days out from transfer deadline day? How many Big deals on um, on Tuesday took place with the reporters, the usual suspects, maybe getting an hour's hour or two heads up, not days heads up. That I, I think clubs are doing a really good job. That's a great point, Chris, in trying to control the narrative, doing their transfer business quietly. I think everybody was kind of focused the morning, Tuesday morning, on what, what was going to happen with Mbappe. And if that was going to actually happen, that's the one thing that didn't happen. It seemed like every other deal that was reported about or talked about, with the exception of Wolves, and they're, they're one club I am concerned about in the Premier League, because I think they were linked with as many as five, I would say, pretty good players on transfer deadline day, whether they be loans or outright buys, and they didn't get any of those guys. Although they did hold on to Adama Traore and to Ruben Neves, so that, that I guess is a plus, but the reporters, most of the, the most of these kind of wild transfer rumors we would hear uh, the the day of the transfer deadline day, we weren't hearing about. And any deal that was rumored or reported happened, with again just a few exceptions. Yeah, so I would say so. So I watched uh, quite a bit of the Sky Sports news, mostly in the morning, and then in the afternoon I switched to watching um, a live Twitch stream with uh, from uh, Fabrizio Romano. So kind of the the transfer journalist extraordinaire in terms of breaking a lot of stories but um he had a couple he had the Antoine Griezmann and he was talking that through that afternoon saying okay here's what's happening uh, the board is meeting between uh, Barcelona and Atleti they're on a conference call um so his sources were, were really good I, I mean I was watching Sky Sports News and you had uh, Gary Cottrell, Cottrell who was in yeah, Strasbourg yeah. I think he, I think almost like Wishing a deal would happen. He wanted with, an Mbappe deal, yeah. right? With the French squad, uh, the French squad was there training, so that never happened. That, that never materialized. But I, I did think it was interesting just watching that uh, Twitch stream, which had about sixty thousand people watching it, and there you had a journalist who was right front and center with all his sources. And he'd be explaining what's happening right now and you know, telling us, OK, yeah, Tottenham Hotspur, Man United, don't expect any, any, any more deals the rest of the day. Because oftentimes, I mean, when you think about it, if you're Sky Sports News, for the most part, 
I mean, you do have your own reporters, but oftentimes I think they're they're reacting to the official announcements from the club or that they yeah, sometimes they have sources. Fabrizio is probably the best example of somebody who is I mean, that's his that's his uh, uh, expertise in that uh, in that subject matter where he's actually kind of saying, hey, here's what's happening. And then other reporters and, and other newspapers kind of report or Sky Sports News would, would be reporting that. Uh, afterwards, kind of reacting to that, but but that was different, and, and that was something that I haven't seen before, and that could change things. Where, say, rather than having Sky Sports News, which might have had twenty to thirty people throughout the entire day, you know, Sam Allardyce, I mean, all, uh, Jamie Redknapp, I mean, the whole crew. Allardyce was quite good, by the way. Redknapp is a waste of time. <laughs> I know uh, he's horrible. Allardyce was good. <laughs> but, go ahead. But maybe that's where things are heading. Is is you you have some of these really uh, pioneering kind of uh, independent journalists who work for CBS, who work for different broadcasters, but they're just live streaming. I mean, it's them in a studio on a, on a couch, and you see him going through his his phone, and he's like, "Hey, here's what's happening right now in in Spain or Italy or England." What time did that start, by the way? I'm not sure. I joined, I joined it in the afternoon, so I I think they went all day. Uh, I was watching it in the, in the afternoon, but I think it had been going from the morning. Uh, I, th- I think I, all day I, all day long. I think. Interesting, because the thing I would say about Sky's coverage is Sky's coverage was the usual frivolous kind of Sky Sports touch of transfer deadline day from uh, Eastern time. Again, this is from like six thirty in the morning till about noon. Afternoon, it became uh, afternoon or one p.m. Eastern. It became very serious, very focused, much more analytical than usual, and. Uh, more kind of hard reporting than you than usual instead of the the Jim White uh, oh you know this guy's gonna go here this guy's gonna go there so I'm I I, I noticed the shift in Sky's coverage without knowing about this Twitch stream until you're mentioning it to me now yeah. I'm wondering if they reacted to that it doesn't seem like something Sky would do but who knows because I saw a a, a major difference in the coverage after about noon Eastern time, which would be what five UK time or about six UK time. There was a, it was completely different uh, in the in the evening and night hours at UK time than what they had presented earlier in the day. So mm-hmm. that's um, and they didn't have the 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 Jamie Redknaps and the uh, Clinton Morrison's coming in just giving you know garbage analysis like they did in the morning our time. The afternoon was much more focused, much more watchable. Like I said, I was dialed in. I I, I watched Sky all day, and uh, I thought it was much better in the afternoon. So I wonder if Fabrizio Romano giving doing a live stream. We know he's the maestro of transfer. Uh, discussions now mm-hmm. if that meant sky felt like they had to up their game interesting yeah I think, about that. yeah i think whether or not it did i think it does have to impact them in the future though so whether it's sky sports whether it's nbcsn whether it's you mean cbs whoever it may be um that's the competition i mean that's i mean they're, they're competing against one guy with his sources and they have you know a crew of 20 to 30 different people rotating throughout the day spending all this money and having this this, this discussion um but i can see that kind of things heading more that way where you I mean cut out the middleman because effectively sky sports is the middleman go straight to the source go straight to fabrizio and let's hear what he has to say about the transfers and what he's hearing from the players the agents the clubs etc so but, but Go ahead, Kartik. Oh, I was going to say, before we move on from this, I have to say, and we move to Ronaldo, obviously, we have to talk about that. But yep. um, I 
have to say I was really impressed by the hour I watched of NBCSN. I know we, we've uh, criticized him a lot here. David Ornstein is a really good addition uh, to to the team, and I think he's giving a little more analysis from a football perspective of how potential transfers affect clubs than Neil Ashton used to. So that's a plus. Tim Howard, I think, has been very good each of the last two match days and then was really good the hour I watched of the uh, – of the transfer deadline special. He, um, he must've had an interesting summer going to ESPN for the summer for the Euro seems to have completely changed his, he still has some of the camera awkwardness, but in terms of just the analysis he's giving uh, was really, really good. And I thought Rebecca Lowe was, was fairly dialed in also. And she was uh, asking better questions than she typically does. I didn't get to see all their coverage. I think they'd come on an hour earlier and I, I only caught the last hour after sky, uh, sky cut off. Uh, but uh, I was actually very pleased and impressed with NBC's coverage. Although, again, they had more to talk about this transfer deadline day than they ever have, probably since they got the Premier League rights. So speaking of Ronaldo, Kartik, how, how will this change things? Will this change things as far as Premier League TV ratings for NBC? Yeah, I think it will. I think it's uh, it's massive. I mean, uh, the the uh, first of all, Manchester United being in a potential title race will all, would have already shifted uh, the rate the ratings. I think positively because that's a team that can move the needle. Them and I would say Manchester United and Liverpool are the two clubs that can move the needle in terms of television ratings. Then you get Cristiano, the biggest. Brand. I mean, I the Messi Ronaldo thing is always interesting to me. You know, uh, Chris, you you were on 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 the bus with us in uh, in Germany six years ago when I made my case that Ronaldo was the was the best player in the world, and um, and there was some give and take on that on that uh, bus trip. I think we were dri- driving from Gelsenkirchen to uh, to Dortmund, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from Schalke to to to, to, Borussia, to the. Uh, uh, football museum, in a German football museum. But I, I made my case that Ronaldo was a guy that could change his game. He's a guy that em- embrace different uh, different roles and can adjust to various personnel being around him. Whereas Messi is the greatest at what he does. He also played most of his career with Xavi and Iniesta. Now I have to say, Messi uh, laboring on the last few years at Barcelona, while there has been uh, a boardroom trouble like there often was at Real Madrid, has impressed me. But um, nonetheless, I think Ronaldo's the greatest. And uh, you bring him into a league where the television deals are all up this year for the Premier League globally. And that makes the most marketable club globally uh, in Manchester United all the more marketable. They now have one of the two biggest brands in football. Uh, for NBC, it's huge. I think it's huge for the Premier League. I, yeah. I, we, we were looking at rights fees plateauing, Right. We've talked about this previously on this show. Now you get two, maybe, well, you, okay, one year is under this contract. You get one, maybe two years of Cristiano in that next three-year cycle. I think it's huge for the Premier League. And, uh, again, this is, uh, I guess, the topping on the cake. It's the cherry on top of the cake that uh, the shift is from continental football to, to uh, the Premier League is massive. And for NBC, I think they need to go all out uh, to promote CR7 what NBC has done to this point, Chris, has been they've been very good about promoting coaching brands. Uh, 
Um, maybe that's been the big thing of the Premier League is the Premier League has had Pep and Klopp. Uh, and now you've got the ability to promote uh, players. Lukaku has come back to the Premier League. Uh, you've got a, a number of other players that, 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 that are marketable. Harry Kane has been very marketable in the U.S. for a number of years. Uh, but that, to me, is also an interesting um, little side note of analysis. How does NBC approach this? They built up the, the, the coaching brands of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. And now you've got a potentially Chelsea and Manchester United, player-driven, superstar-driven clubs challenging these two very settled clubs who are reflections of their managers and who, uh, between the two of them, uh, Chelsea, uh, excuse me, between City and Liverpool basically bought one good player each, this just transfer window. That's it. They're very settled squads with a coaching style and a coaching philosophy that NBC has talked about uh, these last couple of years and kind of rode off of in their Premier League coverage. It's all been about Manchester City and Liverpool. Now United and Chelsea en- enter the picture with Cristiano at United, in addition to uh, Varane and, and some other signings. And then obviously Chelsea is is loaded in every position. And they bring in Saul right at the deadline. Right. I didn't see that one coming. That's another um, another outflow of a, of, a, of a top Spanish player. He wasn't as great last season, even though Atleti won the title, but he's a good player, really good player. Yeah. Watched him for years, bringing him into the Premier League. So, Kartik, I love Ronaldo. I love Messi. Messi's a fantastic player, one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. But what Ronaldo gives you and gives the NBC crew and the ratings and the Premier League is several different things that Messi does not have. One is... He's a showman. He's a showman. He's the type of player that will be in the spotlight, will have his goal celebration. He knows what to do in front of the camera. Uh, Messi is more natural. Messi is more about, you mean, kind of spontaneity, about kind of that goal celebration. A little bit shy, a little bit reserved. Ronaldo speaks English fluently. Messi does not. So you've got somebody that you can market a lot easier. Um... Than than Messi, which is which is, I mean, so the French league, I mean, is you know going to do great this season with with Messi playing for PSG, uh, and but Ronaldo going to the Premier League puts the Premier League on on another level, and you have, I mean, the opportunity to bring in some big uh, TV ratings. So so for this one, it's interesting too because some some of the analysis on this was that uh, I think um, one of the top people in the business, I think Daniel Cohen, uh, was quoted in an article um, this week, and and he said that he believes that Ronaldo can have about a 20% increase. Uh, His factor of, of him playing would increase the ratings by 20%. Mm. Uh, Wasserman uh, Media Group came along and said, no, 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 no. We think it's closer to 10%, kind of downplaying it, saying uh, 20%, no, that's ridiculous. 10% is probably uh, more likely. But what's important is that Ronaldo stays healthy, he stays fit, he stays injury-free, because that combination of Ronaldo playing for Manchester United, playing against Pulisic at Chelsea, playing against uh, Mo Salah at Liverpool, so on and so forth, uh, is is a dream come true for television uh, broadcasters. So NBC must be doing kind of high fives, thinking, okay, what can we do to pull out all, all the bells and whistles for this last season uh, under our current deal? I just hope that they don't overdo it. I just hope that they stay authentic. They stay kind of uh, true to what uh, the Premier League's all about and, and not go too far with that and, and make it corny or cheesy. 
but um, they've got a huge opportunity here. And, and I think 20% is definitely uh, doable, uh, depending on scheduling and, and how things go. But this, this could be enormous for them. This is a, a dream come true. Yeah, and, and uh, the thing that's, I think, going to be really interesting, again, is the contrast. Manchester United have uh, – people aren't even talking about the fact that they still have Martial on their books and they still have Juan Mata on their books and they have all these guys. I had a hard time getting everybody a squad number. They have so many players. That and Chelsea. Chelsea, again, absolutely loaded. As I said, NBC has built up this this coverage around two managers – two brands, Liverpool and Manchester City, the last few years, and Pep and, and Klopp going at it with their very kind of settled squads. Uh, even though, obviously, I think Manchester City did want to sign Harry Kane this summer, weren't able to. Uh, the only other guy they signed was, was Grealish, which was a the guy they needed. Liverpool, I think uh, Klopp feels very comfortable with his squad. And I would, too. If I were in Jurgen Klopp's position, I like that squad. I think that squad can win the Premier League this season, the Liverpool squad. I, I I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. But so contrasting that with the star power of Ronaldo, the star power of Lukaku coming back into the league, uh, I think Saul's another player that, that uh, fans of English football who may not have watched Atleti the last few years are really going to like and see that he can play in multiple positions and may fit Tuchel's system better than he fit Simeone. Simeone was asking him to do a lot of things that maybe he wouldn't have to do at, at Chelsea, right? So uh, this is going to be really exciting for NBC. How do they market it? Do they go back to being kind of authentic uh, and market Ronaldo? And by having Ronaldo in the league, they can drop all the Pulisic stuff, maybe? Because you know, Pulisic is fighting for uh, a spot at Chelsea, and he's fighting against Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, and Hakim Ziyech. Uh, he's, in my opinion, third or fourth in that on that list of those four guys. I know everyone, U.S. fans are going to disagree. But um, do they go back to marketing the league and marketing the stars in the league, Ronaldo, Lukaku, etc.? cetera? Uh, or is there still going to be, well, we have Ronaldo on United, but we have Pulisic on, uh, on Chelsea. Let's see what they do with the American angle. Obviously, I have Josh Sargent now also at um, – Norwich. At Norwich to yeah. Uh, to yeah to market another um, the other kind of uh, significant American player. The other factor about this though, Kartik, is that within between now and the end of the year, we will know who's going to have the next TV deal for the Premier League. So with this current season being the last one with NBC, uh, it would be advantageous to the Premier League and to NBC to continue that relationship for a few more years at least, uh, just so that they can NBC can put all of their you mean marketing muscle into promoting this season with Ronaldo. Uh, however, if they did lose the contract and lost it to, say, I don't know, CBS Sports, uh, would NBC be then as motivated for the rest of the season to really, you mean, go crazy about Ronaldo and Pulisic and, and, and get those TV ratings sky high only to hand over a nice present to CBS Sports who are thinking, OK, great, let's take this and, and let's run with it. So that's the other factor. We won't know until between now and the end of the year, Hope probably within the next couple of months, exactly who will get those rights. But that, that is one other factor to take a look at and uh, keep in mind. And Kartik, let's, uh, before we head into the TV streaming news, uh, let's talk about uh, matches to watch this weekend, our recommended matches. Mine is uh, Brazil against Argentina in the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers uh, on Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, and that's available through Fubo TV. They have a Conmebol and more package that you can add, uh, or you can subscribe to Fubo Latino, and, um, and that comes with all of the 15 games 
of basically three three match windows over the course of, of a week. It's going to be a hectic, crazy schedule. But Brazil, Argentina on Sunday at 3 p.m., um, that's my recommendation. What about you, Kartik? Yeah, I'm I'm recommending checking out the uh, Women's Super League uh, opening weekend on NBCSN and on um, uh, ATA, on ATA football. Uh, Starting uh, today, Friday, Reading and, and Manchester United, if you listen to this podcast early enough, uh, that will be on at some point on NBCSN. I'm not sure that they're showing every match live, but that's a match this weekend. Everton-Manchester City, which will be a good match, is on Saturday, and then Chelsea-Arsenal is on Sunday. That'll be a very big match. Chelsea, of course, won the league last year, holding off Manchester City on the last day of the season, and then got to the finals of the uh, Champions League. We know what happened there. Uh, they got uh, ripped to pieces by Barcelona. And by the way, let's not forget the women's game exists. There's there is stuff going well for Barcelona. They are a, a massive power right now uh, in women's football. Maybe redefining how women's football is played at the club level, uh, in spite of all their woes on the men's side. So check out the women's super league this weekend, NBCSN, uh, in lieu of the Premier League uh, having the week off. All right, TV streaming news uh, on last week's podcast. We talked about how MLS TV ratings are up for the season thus far compared to the 2020 and 2019 seasons. However, it's a tale of two cities in more ways than one with the TV viewing numbers for the MLS All-Star Game, which were released last week. So Univision's and and Tuduene's uh, Spanish-language telecast of the game, uh, which was MLS uh, All-Stars against uh, Liga MX All-Stars, Average 1.4 million viewers. It's the uh, the most watched MLS All Star Game on Spanish language TV among the ages of 18 to 49, and then second most watched uh, among total viewers. However, FS1 averaged just 175,000 viewers for that same game that same night, marking the least watched. English English language version of the game yet in the history of the All-Star. The previous low was 182,000 in 2019. This was 175,000 viewers. Kartik, why the disparity? You tell me what's what's going on here. What, what do these numbers tell you? I don't know. I was shocked by the numbers. I mean, I thought they were outstanding on, on Spanish language, maybe the Liga Mekis angle, but... Um... I, I don't know. <laughs> they were, especially given how how much uh, uh, MLS is, seems to be growing in terms of uh, recognition among core soccer fans, and it's been a good season of MLS. It might also be because uh, it ended up being a, a Seattle. Uh, the starting 11 ended up being, you might as well have been watching a Sounders game. But then again, I'm the one who always says you get higher ratings for Sounders games, right, than for uh, random MLS matches. So I, I don't know. Unless they were all watching on two uh, D N A and on Univision, it was this match. By the way, was on two uh, D N A and it was on Univision over the air. So um, that also partly explains the huge number on the Spanish language side. But you had multiple, you had two channels you could watch it on in Spanish and only one in English. But I don't know. I, I don't have an explanation. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I would say. One is that um, fans of Liga MX clubs are more likely to watch kind of a Liga MX all-star team, while fans of MLS clubs or, or franchises, I don't think are, are that interested in watching a, an assortment of players uh, from different teams. I, th- I think they would probably, you mean, if it's a Seattle Sounders team, they would watch the Seattle Sounders, but they, they don't support the league as a whole. 
Uh, and I guess kind of tied to that, too, is we've seen that uh, we know that uh, nationally speaking, a lot of MLS fans are not interested in watching uh, Major League Soccer. Now that they're interested in watching their team, if it's Atlanta United or Orlando City, they will watch their team on television. But if it's not Orlando City and, and it's not Atlanta United and it's not whoever their team is, I think they're less likely to watch um, a game that doesn't feature their team. And I guess the other thing, I mean, I mean, it's got to be Fox Sports, right? I mean, there's... I mean, in terms of the the number of viewers for this game, I mean, it's just a really pitiful number. Um, I think Fox's coverage has gotten tired. It's the same people. It's very predictable. Uh, it's it's the same thing. It's pretty pretty average, if if not below average. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's going to be John Strong and Stu Holden. You know, it's going to be Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas and probably Mo Adu and maybe maybe some sideline reporters. There's nothing really fresh or exciting or different. And I guess the third reason, Kartik, is that I think a lot of people didn't even know this game was going on. There was a lot of people I spoke to that had no idea that this game was even scheduled. So I think the third part of it is that Fox's lack of promotion. Um, I mean, no press releases, very little advertising. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I, I didn't see much coverage pre uh, this game as far as t- trying to publicize it. Now, for Major League Soccer, I saw MLS doing a lot of promotion, trying to get people to watch this game. But from Fox Sports, I saw very little. So I mean, those are those are my reasonings in terms of why those numbers were so uh, so poor on the English language side and, and so good on the Spanish language side. Two more things quickly in the news. Um, first is that uh, the African World Cup qualifiers are on ESPN Plus. So ESPN Plus has acquired all of the the games, all of the rights. So if you're listening to this, you can go to ESPN Plus and watch a lot of the, I mean, whether it's Egypt or Ghana or Uganda or Rwanda, Nigeria, South Africa, um, some, some good football teams, definitely. And all of those games, all those World Cup qualifiers are on ESPN Plus. Go ahead, and, and by the way, Chris, I was really surprised that BN didn't acquire this. I, this, uh, this I had effectively put in the bank for BN and thought that there would be an announcement this week as qualifying uh, began. And in fact, there was I an think, announcement which uh, you broke the story, yeah. and it was uh, ESPN Plus. So I think, uh, that I think, was a I think honestly, me. honestly, I think they've given up on trying to acquire any new soccer rights. I mean, I, I think they're just completely out of it, one hundred percent. And yes, they'll probably pick up. You mean some? You mean whether it's European basketball or some motor racing or, or things like that? But I think they're completely out of soccer, uh, other than the rights that they already have. I just see, feel that they have no interest. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even put a bid in. And this yeah. and this was something so, so, that and this is this, this is something that would fit their kind of pro- overall program. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's and they, and they've had a lot of the African rights before. They've had a lot of the um, the CAF uh, Champions League. They've had. Africa Cup of Nations. They've had uh, yeah. Africa the Championship. There's there's a lot of African coverage that they have had in the past. Um, I think at this point, again, it's I mean, they're they're kind of moving towards a new Gold TV where they'll probably still be around for quite some time. Perhaps maybe after uh, Qatar uh, 2022, but you um, I mean just just kind of just floating along basically. Uh, last but not least, uh, the Asian Cup qualifiers, the World Cup qualifiers, also um, are on par- uh, are available on streaming. This time through Paramount Plus, um, they acquired the rights to this tournament and several different uh, AFC Asian tournaments, including the Champions League, etc. 
uh, a few months ago, and those games started this week on Paramount+. Plus. Listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Dave. Dave says, You know as well as I that if Ronaldo signed with any MLS team, both of you and all of soccer Twitter would be shouting from the rooftops, See? MLS is a retirement, retirement league. But since this 36-year-old is back in England... Can we rightly and justly describe the Premier League as a retirement league? <laughs> I think this one's a little I, bit different, Kartik, right? Yeah, I don't think I would have been saying it's a retirement league if they signed Ronaldo. I would probably be criticizing Ronaldo for signing into MLS when he still clearly he, – he, he was the leading goal. He won the Golden Boot last year in, uh, in Serie A. He won the Golden Boot this summer uh, with uh, – uh, in the Euros, although I think Patrick Schick may have scored more goals in the run of play, but he had a couple penalties, Ronaldo. Uh, but there, there was uh, uh, I would not have said it about Cristiano. It, this is uh, uh, something, and in fact, there are a number of guys MLS has signed that I haven't said it about. I was wrong about Wayne Rooney. He was close to retirement, although he played great uh, at DC United. I thought that was a good signing. I thought Ibra still could play in Europe, and it was a good signing. I didn't say it was a retirement league at all with those two signings. And obviously, Ibra went back to Milan and did very well after that. So um, a lot of MLS fans get really insecure about this stuff um, and, and, and make broad generalizations uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that everyone says that they're a retirement league. I, um, I think, in fact, I, I wish MLS were, were as aggressive in signing uh, older European players as they used to be, because I think they add something in terms of marketing value and interest among football fans, general football fans, that some of the younger players that they're signing, they're doing a great job signing younger uh, players from Latin America and elsewhere now, but they don't necessarily add the same level of interest. So, no, I would not call it a retirement league. I actually think it would be a very smart marketing move if they had signed Cristiano somehow. So Ted Hill says, um, and, and I think uh, Kartik, he agrees with you. I think Tim Howard has really improved as an analyst. He's stuck the boot in today uh, on Arsenal and uh, Mikel Arteta, uh, who he mentioned was his former teammate. Yeah. Moving on to the European Super League topic uh, from Chris. Chris says, another great part this week. I especially enjoyed the piece on Ray Hudson, who was one of my favorite commentators growing up. My question for you guys is this. With the alliance announced between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 in college sports earlier this week, do either of you see something similar happening in Europe, where the top leagues like the Premier League, Serie A, and La Liga form an alliance to prevent the bigger clubs in their leagues, like Real Madrid, from forming a European Super League? Thanks for the great content. Um, yeah, so the the alliance, the so-called alliance in college football, which we're not um, we're not sure about the details. What we do know is it's an anti-SEC alliance. Effectively, that's what brought these other three big leagues together: the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Now, I think the SEC, and we've talked about this for years on this show and on the predecessor of this show, uh, various podcasts we've done at World Soccer Talk for the last fifteen years, sixteen years. The SEC, the equivalent in European football, is. Premier League in terms of marketing, in terms of TV, in terms of interest. So I think if you saw an alliance, you would see an alliance between Serie A, the Bundesliga, and La Liga, and it would involve television. The uh, issue with the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-10 is, um, or Pac-12 now it's called, uh, Pac-12 and Big Ten are 
they, they all have deals with ESPN, by the way. I know it's been characterized as their Fox conferences, but they are predominantly Fox conferences. The ACC is stuck with a long-term, some analysts now think, prohibitive deal with ESPN. The assumption is, as part of the alliance, when they're if they're able to break some of these deals or when the deals are up, they'll all go with Fox against the SEC being on CBS. So if we take this logic to, to, to TAR football – Let's say here in the U.S., NBC stays with the Premier League, then maybe the alliance does a deal, this alliance of European, uh, potential alliance of European leagues would do a deal with CBS or ESPN. I think that's how it would work. It would be effectively a television uh, a television deal. Now, would they be able to – so I think one of the interesting aspects of the alliance in college football is they are going to try and – um, reshuffle non-conference schedules so those conferences are playing one, one another. I don't know how feasible it is, considering every ACC school almost has a rival in the SEC that they play. Uh, Florida plays Florida State, Kentucky plays Louisville, etc. Georgia, Georgia Tech, right? Um, but it's about a lot of non-conference scheduling is going to apparently be changed by this alliance, where the ACC schools will be encouraged to to, to, to schedule out-of-conference games against the other two conferences in the alliance. In European football, as long as you have the Champions League and UEFA pumping the English teams in, and the English teams being so successful in Europe, I don't think that kind of scheduling alliance is possible. Now, could those cl- those leagues start their own? tournament outside of UEFA potentially uh I don't know UEFA and FIFA would probably block it but it is an interesting idea because truthfully Chris uh, uh not not you Chris <laughs> Chris who wrote in I uh I, I did not foresee this alliance of college football conferences ever happening, but it became necessary because of the power of ESPN and the power of the SEC and the SEC becoming clearly the predominant conference when we used to have a power five. So it's the same thing. We have a big five leagues in Europe, right? Just like power five conferences in college sports. And now, as I said at the beginning of the show, the Premier League is clearly ascended over the other four and will for the foreseeable future. So circumstances are kind of similar, to be honest. Maybe it happens. Ricky Worthy says, I watch more MLS on ESPN Plus than I watch La Liga. I'd watch even more if my local team's away matches were not blacked out. I always attend the home matches or I wouldn't be able to watch those. The blackout rule stinks. Michelangelo says, uh, Paramount Plus in their first week with their pre-halftime uh, and post-match coverage uh, is excellent. Uh, their analyst team is excellent and we need more of this. This group can create an amazing uh, Golazzo zone since uh, RAI Italia doesn't have La Gia Nostra del Gol anymore. It would also be nice to see the Italian announcers and Paramount Plus team working together uh, during pre-match, half-time, post-match coverage, having a... Uh, having an Italian-American coverage, it would be new and interesting idea to have both interacting with each other since Marco and Matteo uh, both speak Italian, both games with uh, Italian SAP option, and also this feature to be available on all platforms. We also need a HD quality stream. Overall, excellent coverage so far, and I'm excited and thrilled to see what Paramount Plus can do with Serie A. Basta Poco says, uh, having watched Serie A and ESPN Plus the last few years, I was pleasantly surprised 
for Paramount Plus. Being able to hear some of the games in, in Italian was great, and I was stoked that Matteo Bonetti moved from ESPN to Paramount Plus. The studio show still needs a bit more improvement, but this should come with time, though I'll miss uh, being able to hear the coaches yell from the sidelines, having fans in the stadium uh, added to the joy of watching Serie A. Steve Marshall says, I was wondering if there's been any official change in ESPN Plus's coverage of the Bundesliga 2. Last season, there was one match a week, and now it appears now there's only one per month. I was hoping to see at least uh, a few St. Pauli games this season, especially the Hamburg Derby, which I was hoping would be uh, would have been on a few weeks ago since it was on a Friday. And it's looking like it won't work out that way unless there's an unlikely deep cup run. So I'm wondering if this change is only temporary as tweaking happens with introducing all the La Liga matches or if the ESPN has said anything one way or the other about it. So, so, Steve, I've noticed this, too. I've been looking for the matches. I don't I don't have an answer. But now that you've asked the question, I'm going to ask uh, ESPN. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah, I think I mean, definitely in the past, ESPN has said that. They're not going to cover the games unless they can use their broadcasters and and, and produce it, because what they get as the raw feed is just uh, is just um, the game, like no no score bug or any graphics, um, and just the audio. And ESPN's policy is that they must have their own talent available from ESPN and produce it. So I think it's I mean La Liga is definitely eating up a lot of resources. So you you watch any La Liga game over the weekend uh, on ESPN Plus, and there's a pre-match show, there's a halftime show, there's a post-match show, there's coverage from ESPN FC. Um, a lot of the games are announced by ESPN's commentators. So we've heard more of Casey Keller the last few weeks than we have in a long time. We've heard a lot of different voices. We've even got Derek Ray doing La Liga matches. So so that tells you a lot right there. So, I mean, Derek's a, a great fan of all football, but I think what it is is that I think resources are stretched, and I think that's the reason why we're not getting as many uh, second division Bundesliga games. Th- that having been said, Mark Donaldson's now doing Bundesliga matches, which he hasn't done, which he didn't do last season. So right. they do have another commentator but then, beyond Derek Ray calling. Yeah, but then Mark's um, doing uh, tennis this La Liga week. Also. Uh, U.S. No, he's Open. Tennis the next two weekends. Yeah. 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 He's got U.S. Open. So. So I think that, I think I think that's and and yeah, some of these guys do cover other sports too. So I think that's the issue. I mean, if if you find out anything different, Kartik, you mean definitely uh, let us know and we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, Fetchin Atua says uh, Tubi, the streaming service, should have a free tier for all movies, sports highlights, etc and a payment tier for live sports, because I would be glad to pay Tubi uh, in the range of $3 to $5 a month, uh, broadcasted games on Fox FS1. I'm even surprised we don't have the main Fox network on Tubi, at least for NFL games. So it looks like, yep, that's the way things are heading. Uh, We will have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, Dave says, terrific uh, podcast. What an interesting guest, uh, Chris Whittingham, uh, MLS, NWSL, Tudu uh, Ene, uh, uh, Bartered, and um, and much more. Number one, I agree with Chris Whittingham that an HD, HD antenna is great for Univision, uh, Unamas, uh, Telemundo, ABC, CBS, NBC Sport, uh, NBC, Fox, etc. Often ten to fifteen seconds ahead of cable. 
and 30 to 45 seconds ahead of streaming. Number two, I'm confused about Tubi. Will this replace the Fox Sports app? Or is it a compliment like Peacock versus the NBC Sports app? We don't know. I would uh, imagine it would be a compliment. It would, the Fox Sports app still exists. And then Tubi would be their ad-supported app that would have you know, movies and TV shows, but then would have a tier that you would have to pay to watch some of the other coverage. Um, and some of that other coverage would include uh, CONCACAF uh, League games, basically overflow channel for a lot of uh, games that they usually don't get to show on uh, TV. So, I mean, the Fox Sports app, I would think, would stay. Uh, it's got a strong brand to it, a lot stronger than Tubi. Number three, why does MLS not flex their best games to their most important windows? NFL, NBA, NCAA, and others give broadcast partners options one to two weeks in, in advance, particularly later in the season. As always, keep up the good work. They do later in the season. And in fact, uh, NCAA basketball does not, which has been a, I don't really watch college basketball anymore, but it was a bugaboo of mine throughout my college basketball uh, uh, viewership with that college football flexes games. All have college football, they, they announced the, uh, the game, the start time a week in advance only because of TV. Uh, and uh, in college basketball, they don't. MLS has started doing that toward the end of seasons. The last few seasons, I don't know about last season because it was so convoluted with COVID. Uh, in 2019 and in 2018, they did move a couple of kickoffs late in the season to ESPN and FS1 windows. Um, but it was very late in the season. It was only the last few weeks. Uh, so expect that again this season. But yeah, Dave, maybe they should do it all season long. Uh, I would love to see more of Seattle and Portland and, and less of everybody else, personally. Yeah, I guess the only challenge with that, though, too, Kartik, is those games often are on so late for East Coast. So um, right, so yeah. Seattle and Portland would be great, but um, chances are those games would be in 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's, it's losing some of that East Coast uh, audience there. Uh, Ra says, great pod. I have another tip on the HD antenna. My reception was not ideal with the Leaf Mohu, so I called AirTV slash Sling slash Dish to install an amplified roof-mounted antenna for me. It's been three years, and I, but I paid $150 back then, including a nice antenna and amplifier. It was worth it for me. In my internal accounting, I have... Uh, I'm, amortized amortized i'm sorry it over three years so it cost four dollars and 16 cents a month it's still running like a champ and i have hooked it to a fire tv recast and a tableau i did not find it expensive considering that it, it that it includes the equipment and installation they installed it and ran a cable to my living room it was the same technician that installs dish sling is selling this service because sling lacks the over the air channels so some good techie tips there from Ra. Uh, Carl says, as someone who is largely club agnostic, I would love whip around shows for match windows like cert certain MLS evenings. The five game Bundesliga Saturday 9.30 Eastern Time slot or the up to five game EPL 10 a.m. Eastern Time Saturday windows constantly moving to the most interesting match at the moment while showing every goal or key moment from across the league is a much more effective use of my two hours relative to me committing to one or two and hoping the game doesn't suck 
and wouldn't and and would help boost exposure for the smaller clubs in these leagues that are typically lucky to get even a highlight on air. Selfishly, as primarily a U.S. men's national team fan whose viewership is highly influenced by U.S. men's national team players, and finding myself overwhelmed on weekends by the, the delightful issue of too many Americans in Europe to watch on the weekend. I yearn for having a U.S.-specific whip-around show or even a Sunday night U.S. men's national team-specific recap show on ESPN+. Kartik, do you remember, this is just going back uh, many years ago, um, what was it called? It was called uh, American Soccer Show. Yeah, with Lindsey Dean and with uh, uh, Phil Shane. Shane and Ray yeah. Hudson, right? That's right. So that was on Gonzalez, that was on being sports. No, Gold TV. Gold TV. So every Sunday night, so Phil Shane was ahead of the curve here. I think this is Phil's idea for the show, if I remember correctly. This is going back about like about ten years ago, and and yeah, this was um, that, I think oh god, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but Phil's go. idea was to have a show, a weekly show, every Sunday night that would talk about okay, here's the Americans that are playing in around the world. Here's what's happening. Here's the stories, interviewing some of the players and the coaches. Um, yeah, I, I guess he was ahead of the curve. Yeah, and, and uh, in terms of the the whip around show, I have to tell you, I I I, uh, I miss Goal Rush because this week uh, I uh, everything in my mind has been transferred, so I totally forgot about the matches as I said at the outset uh, this week. Uh, but I between Peacock, NBCSN, and USA, I was uh, I hit every Premier League match, and it would be much easier if I just had Goal Rush. Right, which they're not yeah. giving us anymore for some reason. Yeah, Gold Rush is supposed to be coming back, so I think it's coming back. Um, I think in the next window after after the uh, international break, international. I think Peacock okay. will have it. Uh, if not, Good. that weekend will be the weekend after. So I mean, maybe maybe it's because of ratings. Look, because they forced me to watch USA, they forced me to watch NBCSN and all three <laughs> Peacock matches flipping back and forth so they can say that, hey, at one point there was this viewership. Maybe that was the reason. I'm That's cynical. They didn't but, force you, uh, Kartik. I would just have Gold Rush on instead of that. <laughs> they didn't force you, though. I mean, it's... Oh, no, they didn't force me. I wanted to see every match. <laughs> no, because actually, the Premier, we're talking about the Premier League uh, uh, ascending on, in transfers. This weekend was actually one of the best weekends I remember Premier League action where I watched the Bundesliga and Serie A and was like, eh, it's not yeah, quite. Yeah, the yeah. previous weekend, Serie A had been the best. The first opening weekend of Serie A was brilliant. Um, but it was it was a weekend where the Premier League was really good, particularly on Saturday. So uh, Ronaldo's second debut for Manchester United will be on television in the United States. In the UK, it's not on television because it's a uh, 10 a.m. or it's a 3 p.m. Eastern t- 3 p.m. UK time kickoff. And those games are blacked out in the UK. So we will see it here, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern. I think it's September 11th, I think, is, is the game. Newcastle United against Manchester United. Any guess uh, which channel is going to show this game? It is going to be on USA. That's correct. So that, that tells you everything, right? That tells you what their well, uh, game plan is. I knew that already. Ah, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. But yeah. But, but, but it tells uh, you it tells you what, what I mean. NBCSN still they haven't really said anything publicly, really. But at the end of the year, that's going away. USA is the focus is the focal point. 
And not everybody, I mean, I think most of us get USA, but that's a channel that, I mean, I think a lot of us probably should start preparing and making sure that we've got that channel on our streaming or cable service, because uh, you'll have to remember to change to that channel uh, this season quite a bit. Yeah, they've and they've already uh, they've already shifted that best kickoff at uh, at ten o'clock Eastern time has already been shifted to USA these first few weeks. Mercator says, "I was so disgusted with Arsenal's performance. I didn't watch any football after their match last weekend. I agree, I agree with Dave. The MLS gets better and better every year, though. I get uh, wanting to watch the best of the best, but let's be honest." You aren't getting that unless you're watching 10 or so teams. Even those matches can be dull because the teams are so well organized and disciplined. I can appreciate a chess match at times, but the MLS frequently delivers some real bangers. Great games with great goals, both sides just throwing everything at it. I actually think it's generally more entertaining since the defenses often aren't well organized. But you have DP level attacking talent going forward. I think MLS's biggest problem is that their, many of their big market teams are awful. New York is a dis- disgrace in that baseball field. Chicago just sucks. Houston isn't even trying. And Miami has broken every rule in the book and will be awful for years. Only West Coast big markets have done well. And it's probably no coincidence that European soccer is much less attractive when games like Arsenal, Man City start at 4.30 in the morning Pacific time. As a neutral, I find the games entertaining, but no American sports league is going to succeed with terrible teams in most of the big markets. A lot of MLS owners are like Kroenke and clearly are just sitting on an asset with no intention of doing anything with it. Next up is uh, Vishal, and he says, um, I read an article today on World Soccer Talk comparing ESPN Plus, Peacock Premium, and Paramount Plus. And, and, and we did a, uh, a side-by-side comparison, um, basically reviewing and analyzing the best soccer streaming services, pros and cons of each. And Vishal continues, he says, I remember listening to an earlier podcast as well, where you had ranked the top TV networks for soccer. Would love to listen and read or read a overall comparison for broadcasters based on TV networks and streaming just for soccer as well as non-soccer. Personally, for me, it's Disney Bundle at the top, followed by HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Netflix, Peacock and Prime Video. Uh, Number two, also increasingly, it looks like ESPN and CBS Viacom are emerging the top two overall in terms of soccer rights with the rest uh, going to NBC Universal, uh, Fox, and BN Sports falling behind. Do you foresee a future where BN Sports folds post-2022? NBC and Fox lose their respective EPL and FIFA World Cup rights, and only two remain standing. Let, let me take a break there, pause second there, Kartik, before we move on to the rest of Vishal's uh, feedback. What do you think? Would it could we see, foresee a time where it's just it's going to be ESPN and CBS Sports for soccer? Obviously, yeah. I, I the, the BN I, I had assumed would go away after uh, the, the the Qatar World Cup uh, completely in in the U.S. market. But you you raised the possibility that they could limp along like uh, Goal TV has in this market. Uh, but they wouldn't be really a factor, regardless, right? They would still be. A, uh, um, they would be um, 
kind of on their own. So if that's the case, uh, yeah, there is a real possibility that could happen because NBC, I don't know what NBC, I, I know I've raised this a bunch of times on this podcast. I don't know NBC's commitment level to sport, uh, to sports, uh, in well, general, outside, sports, outside of the Olympics, outside of the Olympics, right. And outside of the NFL, they, um, they, they, they could just, uh, toss this all by the wayside. So yeah, I definitely think that this could happen. Yeah, when you think about it, which, which um, Vishal Brace is a good point, in this next TV deal for the Premier League, say, just hypothetically, say CBS Sports gets the rights to it, CBS Sports will probably have the Premier League rights then for six years. So now you're talking, you're going through till almost 2030. Um, and with them having Serie A and the Champions League, and then I'm sure they would probably think that they would keep on renewing those as best as they can. And then you've got ESPN with La Liga and the Bundesliga. The La Liga deal is all the way through till 2028 or 2029. It's towards the you know, almost 2030 there. Uh, the Bundesliga, I think, are very happy with ESPN Plus. Probably the best uh, exposure that they've had in a long, long time. So then what's left? I mean, other than the World Cup tournaments, uh, those major tournaments, as far as the leagues go, the major leagues, that pre- I mean, other it's just then it's Major League Soccer. So what if... MLS gets uh, the majority of the uh, – well, actually, what if CBS Sports gets the majority of the MLS deal and the Premier League um, and has all of those? And then ESPN has the La Liga and the Bundesliga. And uh, from club football, then essentially being sports, you've got League One, Turkish League, and then Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana. But those rights will be up soon too. And then you've got Fox, and Fox, if they did lose out on MLS rights, you mean, and, and just stuck to having big events like the World Cup and the Women's World Cup, it could effectively be too too left, too standing. Yeah. All right. And then uh, finally, uh, Vishal says, uh, I would love to see a video from Chris Okotic talking about their own workstation, a watch station set up for the number of screens, primary, secondary, along with multi-view for the best possible watching experience of multiple soccer leagues simultaneously on live TV, such as Fubo TV, and then spread across streaming platforms on ESPN Plus, Peacock, Paramount. Etc. So, Kartik, if we took a picture of that right now, what would it look like? Would it would it be you running around the house, or would it be kind of a kind of a kind of a setup like kind of a closed circuit TV? Kind of a, what would it look like? Well, I mean, it's 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 um, yeah, it'll be an iPad, it'll be a, a laptop, and then the TV itself. Yeah, for and me, the TV itself sometimes is on sometimes on ESPN with the the, the multi view, so it'd be three or four games, yeah, for- simultaneously. Yeah, for me, it, it's uh, I bought another monitor. So in my home office, it looks like it's a uh, security. Uh, <laughs> it looks like a, a, like a, maybe like for a I don't know what I'm thinking of that, like a, an Albertsons or Winn Dixie or Publix uh, back room security system with closed circuit TVs with all these cameras set set up on, on the TV screens. I, so yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of TVs side by side just watching games. Now, I will have the main game that I'll focus on, and I'll watch that, but then I'll keep an eye on everything else. But, yeah, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll take a pic- picture of that, Vishal, and share that. 
All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, it's good to have you back and uh, always appreciate uh, talking to you about football. And, and you know, it's, it's still amazing how much things change week to week. I mean, who knows a week from now, we could be talking about something explosive. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this week, the transfer deadline, as I said, was pretty explosive. And there seems to be, um, for whatever reason, maybe it was because of the pent up uh, demand after not having uh, effectively a real tra- uh, real transfer windows, the last two windows due to COVID. Uh, but so much happened this week. It, it was it was amazing. And obviously, we've got television deals uh, now in the balance and the premier league is in a strong position thanks to what happened this past week yeah and we should have some information next week i know that um, we're going to be talking to cbs sports about their coverage of seria r um where i believe they're going to be opening up a new studio um in manhattan so we, we might see kind of a a bigger better seria it's already been good so far but uh, and also probably some other news too as far as uh, cbs sports goes so stay tuned and uh kartik i know you've recommended a bunch of, bunch of games this weekend from the uh, fa women's super league uh and i recommended the world cup qualifiers but there's a ton of football on from around the world what are you going to be doing and, and what should the listeners do enjoy your football Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 